0: audio podcast network welcome back History heroes this is another episode of whining about History, the women's history podcast where two longtime best friends chat chat wine whoa i'm sorry <laughs> S- rewind chat about women's history and women you probably haven't heard of over a glass <clears throat> bottle of wine that's, I'm Emily. That's more accurate. Yeah. I'm Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us. That was a rocky start. Hopefully that's not a premonition for things to come. <gasps> Hopefully not. I am trying to stay super positive about 2020. It's really hard considering that the world is burning down around us. But I think it's important as long as we enact positive change in our like immediate spheres I think that helps. It does. Like I'm trying to be there for the people around me and take care of myself, and that sounds really selfish and probably fucking awful, but I can only handle I was so to say much. That sometimes that's all you can do. So, <laughs> all right. Well, before we get started, uh, Kelly, I wanted to. So I, I don't have a say their name, but I have like a say their. thing. Thing? Say their thing. Or a notable thing I've noticed online that I want to share with you. And I'm sure you've seen these, but, and I remember these a lot from when I was growing up in like middle school and high school. Those illustrations about like women who are really glam or they wear makeup and they're going out to clubs and drinking. And then, and then it's like, oh, and then I'm just over here reading a book. Yep. And it it was a way to put down women who engage in traditionally feminine activities or who are like really into makeup and guys and all that. And it was like, it was and very, very weird. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm over here just like being the awkward bookworm. And it, the whole point of it was to be like, I'm better than you because yeah. you're some superficial slutty bitch. And here's the thing. Being the weirdo I was growing up, I totally identified with those. But now I've grown, I'm more mature, and apparently the internet is too, just a smidge. Because I've been seeing these illustrations going around where they've taken those memes and basically turned them on their heads. And so there was one I saw where... um It was like a bunch of a bunch of ladies who are all like super glammed up and their dress kind of revealing. And then there's one like kind of normal looking person in the middle who's like, am I the only one here who's not a slut? And that was the original. And then yep. there's a second illustration where it's like all of them are best friends and they're like, oh, my God, we're having such a good time and empowering each other because it doesn't I matter saw that how one. you dress or what you do. W- like women are all worthy of, you know, common basic respect. Right. Yeah. And
1: people are like, oh, I love your hair. And they're like being super nice to each other. And it's funny because I saw that, but I didn't see it with any explanation. And I'm like, are these like two parts of one panel and i'm just really confused no it's like taking so these now it ma- other yeah, so now it makes a lot of sense
0: yeah and uh i think it's i don't know if it's l- I can't figure out who's doing these. If it's just a trend that's happening or if there's one artist, it seems like it's a bunch of different styles. So I didn't want to shout out one person and then it's like, oh, no, I just found this and shared this, but I didn't do it. Like, I feel like sometimes it's really hard to figure out the source online, but there's this one that I found that I wanted to show you. And also, I love that in 90% of these illustrations, all the women are lesbians. So here's one I'm going to show you. So it depicts a woman in a ball gown, short blonde hair. It looks like she's just won a Golden Globe or something. And she's going, I won. And next to her is a woman in a hospital gown holding a baby going, no, you didn't. Yeah. But that so that's like the original. And then someone added another panel to it. And the women are like. They're, we they're won. They're embracing, and they it It's their baby. Won, yeah. yeah. But there is another where I saw it was like it doesn't some- doesn't
1: guarantee it's their baby. It could be best friends. That could be me and you. I mean, They it, say neither neither we won us, honey. <laughs> oh, OK. I couldn't see the honey. It wouldn't let me enlarge the picture. OK.
0: I think it's implied that it's their, totally their baby. But there is another one it I saw. It was like, that could be me and you. But, I mean, neither
1: of us are having babies, but- I would support your baby.
0: I'd be like, we won. And Justin's over there like, um, excuse it's me. Best. I'd be like, Kelly, we won. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> But there is another one where it's like a girl who's ready to go out to the club and she's getting all dolled up. And then there's she's like, oh, are you coming out tonight? And she's talking to someone who's like, got the glasses under the blanket with a book like, no, I don't think so. And the whole the whole idea is other girls glam and sexy and slutty me introverted and kind of weird. But that's a better thing, you know, and it's the whole us versus them. And so the second panel of that one was the glam girl going, oh, that's okay. Do you want me to bring home a pizza when I get home? Oh, my God, I love you. You're the best. And they're definitely lesbians. And it's amazing. (laughs) But again, could be best friends. No, they are lesbians. Kelly, everyone is a lesbian. (laughs) It's 2020. Everyone
1: is a lesbian. That's just Emily's fantasy. It is.
0: But I I don't know. I've been seeing them around and every time I see one, it makes me so happy. Yeah, they're really cool. Because I totally fell for that growing up because I felt like I wasn't accepted and my way of coping was, well, what they're doing is wrong, and I'm better for not being accepted. It's like, well, God, if we just fucking accepted everyone, we wouldn't have this problem. Right, exactly. So whoever is doing those, if it's one person, if it's multiple people, keep fucking doing it. Yeah, they're amazing. All right, so Kelly, uh, you picked our wine today. I did. I actually went and bought it today. Oh my god, so it's fresh. Fresh. Fresh from the liquor store. Didn't have any dust on it. No. It was not the bottle that was in the back of the rack, just sing lonely and sad. Right. And And I was playing a violin someday No, it wasn't from the discount,
1: (laughs) the discount bin where they're like, we've had these too long. They need to go. Well, that's my favorite part of the liquor store. (laughs) I didn't see one this time, but I didn't venture very far because this one caught my eye. It's good to see wines finding their homes. (laughs) So this one's called, and I'm going to butcher this because it's French Chateau Puget. Gouraud. That's what we're going with.
0: Pure Gouraud. Uh,
1: it's P U Y G U E R A U D. I'm not even sure. Pure Gouraud. That's what we're going with. Not uh, it's a Bordeaux tried. Blanc, so it's a white Bordeaux, which is unique. Um, and the sign at the liquor store says this crisp, dry, and wonderfully refreshing. Citrus peel, white flowers, and bright, saline notes. That's, a, saline. that's what it says. What? Yeah, I don't think that's the right word. <laughs> is this an IV drip? Um, Maybe it's pronounced like saline or like maybe it means something else saline. in wine. It's, I don't know. It's saline. It's pure saline Dion <laughs> into my blood. Give this Sauvignon Blanc striking energy and vibrance. Drink it over the next few years. I don't know why it says that part, but okay. Yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't. It's not going to last us a
0: few years. I'm going to tell you that right now.
1: So it is actually a mix. I just noticed that. It's... 55% Savon, grease and then 45% Savon savant blanc. And then, yeah, product of France.
0: And you were telling me Bordeaux are normally red, like 99% yeah, of the time reds. And then to make them white and they, to They mix it
1: with a sweet. And so usually most white Bordeaux's tend to be sweeter, but this one's pretty dry.
0: Yeah. That's I good. We're already,
1: I'm on my second glass. i at the end of my first. That's who I am. I
0: really like it. Yeah,
1: it's really good. I mean like you can't like this isn't like a chugging wine, no. but it's it's a good sipping wine that you keep sipping.
0: If you are out at a nice restaurant and you want to order a wine well, and you like perfect. you wanna be a little more adventurous than Moscato. Maybe you're like feeling a little more sophisticated. Order a what a Bordeaux blanc? And, like, this yeah. is a very grown-up wine. I feel like a child saying it's a grown-up wine. That's funny. But, yeah, it's, it's good to sip. It tastes good. It's really mellow. Yeah. Like, there's an initial bite, but then it... <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. No, we're fine. <laughs> Here, let me put on the technical difficulties music. Da, 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 da. That wasn't even technical. Like, <laughs> that
1: was me unplugging my computer and slamming my wine glass into a wine bottle on accident
0: but yeah i'm i'm a fan i highly recommend this this isn't like the kind of stuff that i would order or i mean like buy for myself if i'm having like a solo wine night yeah no that's but the moscato and is, the riesling this is why we wanted to do a wine podcast we want to kind of broaden Try our horizons things. and like it works out sometimes yeah it does like this one so cheers yeah, where are we? I'm remembering. To? No, you know what? <laughs>
1: you get to pick. Okay, um, I picked the wine. You pick the cheers.
0: It was my boyfriend's birthday, so cheers to him.
1: Ooh, good clink.
0: There's a little bit of fire to it. Yeah. No, I I really like it. It was funny. So we watched an episode of Veronica Mars, season three, episode one. Heard of it? And uh, the episode felt like it was two hours long. Yeah. Like not, It wasn't one of those like. It was a little
1: heavy. There was a lot going on. Like it wasn't one of those that like you're like, oh god, this is taking forever. No, there was just a lot going on. And at the end, we're both like, oh, that was one episode.
0: That, yeah, like that. Wait, that was only one episode. Holy shit! And yeah, I mean, I was just sipping on this and enjoying it. And it was just, it was a good sip and wine. Yeah, it was. Yep. Sit, sip, and wine. That sounds funny.
1: So I get to go first.
0: Yeah, I'm and really excited. So.
1: This is my pre-warning. I already told Emily this. Oh, She's that's She's giving right. me a face, but I was like, what "This are you is talking like about? 16th century Ireland, so it's Gaelic names." I don't speak Gaelic. I don't even know how to pronounce Gaelic. So I'm going to pronounce all of these wrong, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna say each name probably once, and then use the bastardized, anglicized version of the name.
0: I think you're pronouncing it correctly, Gaelic. <laughs> <laughs> you're like i don't know how to pronounce gaelic like, you're doing a good job to me <laughs> shut up <laughs> kelly's like this story is so fucking hard shut your mouth And yeah, no, i'm like do you un- you don't even understand yeah like there were umlauts there were dots oh yeah there were so many different there things. were o's with circles through them i don't even
1: fucking know like, i don't know what this means <laughs> you so, don't know i'm gonna set the stage first and then i'll get into my woman because this is 16th century Ireland and I'm sure most of us are like, I don't know what was going on in that time. And it's kind of important to the story. So, Ireland in the early decades of the 16th century consisted of two distinct cultures. Dublin and its bordering counties and coastal cities were technically English and under the English rule and, and regarded the rest of Ireland and the hinterland with fear. So that's kind of where we're at because the hinterland was very much a frontier society. It was composed of the Gaelicized Old English and Native Irish peoples living together. And they lived within autonomous territories and enjoyed traditional pastimes, such as stealing cattle, poaching castles, feuding, intermarrying, and vying for domination. Hey, cousin,
0: husband, do you want to go poach some cattle for date night? Oh, my God. It's like you read my mind. I guess growing up together our whole lives and then getting married is paying
1: off. Right. And back then, a a system existed very much so kind of if you've seen Game of, Game of Thrones where like <laughs> oh no where weaker families aligned themselves with more powerful ones so basically you had like the leader and then like the stewards of the house you know and so those bonds were cemented by means of tribute military aid marriage or fostering one another's children oh. and sibling fucking so the Mahales or the um O'Malley's Oh my God! Yeah, those aren't even close. Uh, we're clients of the McWilliam le- lecherarch or the Mayo Bur- Borks, as they're known, and they had their own clients in turn. So basically, the Ma- the Mayo the Mayo Burks were up top, and then there was the O'Malleys, and then the O'Malleys had like their own people under them. Okay, yeah. Um, strict laws governed the formal aspect of all of these relationships, and it was a. Com- complex interdependency which bound the families together in a hierarchical society in which status and pride were paramount okay because it's like
0: you have to you have to make the people above you happy because it's like no no we're totally fine with this we totally will die for right. you and then you can elevate your status through their status, and right. everyone's just sucking each yep. other's dicks. And during
1: cool. this time, uh, Henry VIII came to power. Oh and my God! Was the first English monarch to proclaim himself king of Ireland, uh, signaling the, a profound change in the crown policy. Obviously, and then from there on, you know, English monarchs haven't been content to hold on to what little land they had in Ireland. They want all of it. They want yeah. all of the. All of the Ireland. And Henry VIII very much sought to halt the Gaelization of the old English peoples that were in the hinterlands. And he introduced a series of measures to establish a centralized system of government and Anglicize the population. So that's kind of where
0: we're at. So the old English people who were living there had kind of um, assimilated to the Gaelic culture of Ireland. And Henry VIII is like, No, no,
1: No. it's supposed to go the other way. No, you're supposed to
0: be English. So he's like asserting his power and swinging his dick around because he's a douchebag and being like, no, 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 we're going to make them English. They're not going to make us Gaelic. Right. Okay,
1: Right. God, he's such a prick. Right. who who we're talking about, or... Her anglicized name becomes Grace O'Malley, so that's what we're going to go with. Was born in Ireland around 1530, when King Henry VIII was King of England and held the title of Lord of Ireland. So she was born during that time. She lived in the area of Ireland that was semi-autonomous and were left mostly to their own devices. Uh, However, this was going to change over her lifetime as the Tudor Conquest in Ireland gathered Pace.
0: So she's like in the hinterland area? She lives
1: not in Dublin or the surrounding areas, basically.
0: She's she's past the suburbs. She's on the other side of the tracks. Right. Uh, her father, who I'm not going to try to pronounce, Lord Dad, Lord
1: Dad, <laughs> Lord uh, O'Malley. <laughs> yeah. So her father and his family, so and her, were based in Clu Bay County Mayo. Um, he was the Lord of the O'Malley Dynasty and r- ruler of Umal. descended from Male McConnell. Uh The O'Malleys were one of the one of the seafaring families of. and they built a row of castles facing the sea to protect their territory they were a very unique family in the irish because they did both seafaring and land-based like trade and stuff so they were kind of unique
0: they they kind of had their fingers a lot of pie yeah but they did pretty
1: well sticking to one specialty so for those in Ireland, because I don't recognize these places, uh, they controlled most of what is now the Barony of Mersick in Southwest County Mayo and recognized as their normal overlords, as I said, the Maculium branch of the Borks, who controlled much of now what is County Mayo. So like I said, they were below this other family kind of a thing.
0: All I can picture is... The doctor's Mayo, right? I know. Like it's all, so, I, can I know. That I was like County Mayo is downtown Rochester. Like, wow, right. that's so crazy. I can see it so clearly. Yeah. So
1: the Borks, who the O'Malleys were under, were originally an Anglo, an Anglo-Norman people, but during Grace's lifetime, they completely Gaelicized.
0: Okay, so they were the old English who were like, "This yeah. is yep. awesome, Ireland rules."
1: Right. Her mother, uh, Margaret or Maeve. Kind of just depending sources had both, um, was also of the O'Malley tribe. So you know there's the intermarrying. It doesn't say what relation it just of the same tribe. So I mean that could be distant cousins, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, she was the only child of her father and mother. However, her dad did have another son called Donal na Piopa. With his second family, I don't know. It just says the son of her father. Okay, that's all I wrote because I didn't care. <laughs> He's, he, we don't care. And although him. typically during you know the 16th century, uh, lands would be inherited by the son. Grace was considered to be the legal retainer of the family land and seafaring activities. Wow. I'm assuming because he was a bastard. I assume he was a bastard anyways because he was. They say half half brother.
0: You know what's interesting about that, though, is you think that him being a male would kind of supersede Sometimes that? Sometimes it does,
1: but maybe her dad was just like, no, I like her better. It's
0: like, yeah, like, you're our full blood
1: child, but... Oh, it's happened. Girl. Right. So with the shore castles that they had, the O'Malleys taxed all of those who fished off their coast, which included fishermen as far away as England. Uh, the head of the family was simply known by his surname, which was O'Malley. O mail or anglicized to O'Malley, as I've been saying, because I can't pronounce the other one. Oh, because I'm male. pretty sure I'm saying O mail wrong, because when I listened to it, it was like ma mach- like it didn't have the obviously. like all of the letters it, yeah, you just, think would yeah. be in O mail, it was really weird none of them none of those sounds no, came and no offense to like Gaelic people out there I'm sure your language is beautiful I just can't speak it
0: oh it it's really cool but yeah like I remember um, going to the highlands in Scotland and like seeing the signs in English and then Gaelic and it's like I don't even know where to start right. and right. like I'm an idiot who only knows one language and I barely know that. So we're not trying to criticize you. We're admitting to our own ignorance and doing our best to not butcher your fucking language. There's actually, Kelly, you were telling me there's another podcast. It's like a paranormal podcast. Yeah, I think it was. And one. they mispronounced a small town in Illinois and
1: people just and like, people have themselves. been like
0: negative review bombing them like crazy for doing that. And I'm like, guys, chill out. If this is the thing that makes you angry, you have nothing wrong in your life or your priorities are trash. <laughs> and being from Illinois, like our town names are weird. Some of them are bonkers. But yeah, you know, they are because some of them are based on like Native American names. Oh, yeah. And
1: what's funny about some of the names in our state is that you'll hear them pronounced one way your whole life. And then someone will be like, yeah, but it's actually supposed to be pronounced like this way. And it's
0: like, oh. My college roommate is a great example of that. So uh, I got her like little profile. Like I Facebook stalked yeah, yep. her before we moved in because that's normal. That's what you do. You're going to live with this person for a year. And it said she was from. And the town was spelled New Prague. P-R-A-G-U-E. Oh, yeah. Spelt just like the place. I'm like, oh, cool. New Prague. I didn't know that Minnesota had one of those. Well, actually, she tells me it's pronounced New Prague yep. because the people living there have like a lot a lot of people from Prague came there. And then just kind of shit on the name and fucked up the pronunciation themselves. And so everyone says Prague. And she's like, the only people who know that are the people who live here. And I'm right. like, because it's a small town. I'm like, how would you even think that? How would you yeah, even like, guess it's that? It's literally
1: spelled Prague.
0: It's... And Prague is a well-known place. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. And the funny
1: thing is, that's why I assumed it was named New Prague, is because I was like, oh, people from Prague must have come and settled there. And that's exactly what happened. But they were like, no, we don't want to be associated with Prague. They
0: don't even know how to pronounce their own name. They were like, no, it's Prague. No, what? That's not how it's spelled. It's (laughs) Prague. We're new, new Prague. Anyway, moving
1: on. So her family actually was really fortunate because of their trade and naval warfare but they also had their lands with those coast castles protecting them from invaders because a lot of times that's how you were invaded in the 16th century as people would come from the sea and just wreck your shit and because of this long history her family had with naval life grace was very fascinated um, by the sea and she ignored any influences by her family that wanted to steal steer her to a life on land local folk for local has it that when she was a young girl, she wished to go on a trading expedition to Spain with her father, and upon being told she could not because her long hair would catch in the ship's ropes, or I also heard because she was not a boy, because you know, you well, long
0: well, girls traditionally had long hair, exactly. so bowl. She
1: cut off her hair to embarrass her father into taking her. Ah! This nick this this earned her the nickname Grain Mole, which is spelled so weird. Uh, which is another name that I could have called her, but I feel like I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, so I don't want—I don't want to say that either. But mole or mall or mole, um, meant bald or having cropped hair, so that's why—that's okay. why they called her that. So she
0: was like Grace, no hair. Yeah,
1: they basically. were calling
0: her Baldy, basically.
1: But it's kind of her own fault because she did it to
0: herself. I love like what a like stellar rebellious teen move, though. Like, oh, no, you can't come with us. Your hair is too long. I'm going to cut it off and I'm going to show you, dad.
1: See, I don't I never took it as that. I took it as a, well, if the reason I can't come with you is my long hair, then I'm going to cut it off and come with you anyways.
0: That reason that I took it okay. as like a strong empowered move, and <laughs> Emily's like, "What a whiny bitch." No, not a bitch, but just like uh, I'm gonna wreck your shit because I'm a teenager and I don't listen and I don't obey the conventions of our gender normative society,
1: Dad. I mean, you got to think though she was probably like ten because by teenagers they're getting married.
0: This this is true. So she was a very precocious ten year old, right?
1: So as a child, she most likely lived in one of her family's residence, either in Belclare or Clare Island. Um, however, she might have been fostered to another family because fostering was traditional among Irish nobility. There's really not a whole lot about her childhood. The guess is that she was formally educated. However, little is known about the education of the Gaelic elite, both male and female, just in general. However, most sources that do exist demonstrate that 16th century noblewomen in Ireland were relatively well educated. Okay. So.
0: So they, they got a decent education. Like, guys may have gotten a better one. We don't know. Yeah, we have no but idea. But they did get one. It wasn't like, learn to sew and, you know, give birth. Right. Cool. So when she was 15, in
1: 1546, she married Donal Al Chogada O'Flarharche. Beautiful rolls uh, right off heir, the tongue. so o'flaherty is the o'flaherty anglicized. okay um and so he was heir to the o'flaherty title so he was you know kind of like a prince of his clan i guess He was like a rich heir right and that would have been a really good move politically because she's the daughter of a chieftain so she's essentially a princess you know so like it was a, p- a political match i'm guessing that's probably all it was
0: is it bad that all I can envision is Jason Momoa in like the little hat with the with the pom pom on top? Yes,
1: I have no <laughs> idea what you're even talking about, but I'm gonna go with yes. Like
0: well, you know, because like, he does in, not
1: look Irish at well, all. In
0: the, no, I I understand that. I know this is weird, but I'm imagining him in a kilt oh, with like the, the little like, Irish beanie, where it's it it, it almost yeah. looks yeah, like yeah, um, a beret yeah. with a little pom pom.
1: I don't even know if that's actually Irish or if that's just pe- thing- things people put Irish people in. Maybe. Anyways,
0: but let me just say Jason Momoa in a kill is fucking hot. So as the heir to the O'Flaherty
1: oh, title, um, he had expectations of one day ruling La Connach, which was like the area his family owned, uh, which is equivalent to modern Conmara, which I'm assuming is an area in, in Ireland. I don't know. But a lot of land. That's what I'm going to go with.
0: He was going to inherit a big slice
1: of pie. Right. As daughter of a chieftain, Grace would have brought a substantial dowry or spreda to the marriage. Under Gaelic law, the dowry, although available for use by the husband, had to be returned intact to the wife on dissolution of the marriage.
0: Oh, snap so if they got divorced he would have to pay her back yep
1: all of it it's like a refund. anything she brought she gets back
0: okay like we can say that's shitty because the whole like exchanging of quote unquote property right. in marriage and blah 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 but that's fucking awesome it's like hey if you don't want fucking be married to me that's fine but give me my shit back it gets better actually stringent sureties
1: were required to ensure that this occurred obviously and some and though wives were sometimes forced to seek legal redress so like they could seek legal counsel if they needed to uh women also retained control of any personal property they brought into the marriage and were entitled to acquire additional property independently of their husbands like what happened to this like I suppose this is in Gaelic Ireland and not in the United
0: States. Here's the thing, the people who say that like the whole male female dynamic of men being superior or more dominant and women being subservient and people saying who that 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 has been around forever, where Right. You like it hasn't been that way across the board and the and you accepting that as a truth versus a myth, which is what it is, is perpetuating the current power structure right. which is bullshit. Right. So,
1: such property that women could own include troops, ships and other goods.
0: Oh my god, I love this.
1: Grace's activities during her marriage may indicate that among her personal property were both galleys and men. A theory upheld by the fact that when he died, she was still in possession of at least three galleys. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so there there are some like local legends that say that her husband was very inept in managing the chieftainship. I don't know if that's true or not because some didn't say anything about it. So, But they say that he, she kind of assumed the chieftainship of the O'Flahertys. I'm guessing... It maybe have been like a side by side thing, but there's no way to know.
0: Yeah, like you know, they were both pretty capable people on their own, and they came together to kind of strengthen each other's weaknesses, right? Or he was super incompetent. And she's like, "Honey, I got this." Right.
1: Um. Though they they do they do say he was very hot tempered and impetuous and quick to take offense and seek retribution. Um. He his he and his clan because obviously he was like the leader. Uh, were engaged in constant feuding with the Joyces, which was another family in the area. Okay. She bore three children in her marriage, and I'm just gonna name them and tell what tell you what happened to them because I like they're not in the rest of my story, but I was like, I'll just tell you what happened. It's hard to
0: figure out like at what point in the rest of her story their fates yeah, occurred. Exactly. Okay. So the first one is <laughs> Oh my god, your poor face. You're just
1: like crestfallen. I know, I was like, uh I didn't look up how to pronounce this one. Uh Egon, or Owen, was her oldest child. Um, and he was known to be kind and forgiving. However, Sir Richard Bingham tricked him, and he was murdered as a result. Oh, no! Uh, and then Sir Bingham and his troops took his castle. We'll get back to that guy later. Medby, or Maeve, uh, was said to be much like her mother. Uh, she went on to marry Ricard, Diham, of Burke, also known as the Devil's Hook. Oh! Uh, with whom charming. she had several children. Apparently... um. Her mother and her husband were very close, not like weirdly close, but they were like they were good friends, and not it's, like doing it close. Yeah, okay. and it said uh, that um he saved her life more than once. Aww. Uh, their last child was Mercad, or man, the anglicized version of this isn't any easier. Like <laughs> it's spelled like Murruff, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it's pronounced. But anyways, he was said to take after his father for he enjoyed warfare thoroughly. He often beat his sister and refused to listen to his mother because of her gender. Many sources report that he betrayed his family and joined forces with Sir Richard Bingham after the murder of his brother. So he's like
0: the black but shitty sheep of the family. When Grace
1: heard this, she swore she would never speak to him again for the rest of her life, though she would often insult him. Um, After his father died... His mother left, um, taking many of the followers. So in 1556, Donal, her husband, was killed in an ambush while hunting in the hills surrounding, uh, Loch Corrib. In 1565, Donal, her husband, was killed in an ambush while hunting in the hills surrounding Loch Corrib. This was undoubtedly, uh, part of his wider struggles with the Joyce family that I mentioned earlier. Um, Tradition credits uh, O'Malley with exacting revenge on them. She is said to have led or, according to some sources, repelled a raid on the disputed Cook's Castle in Loch Corum, which, owing to her courage, was henceforth known as Hen's Castle.
0: Ooh. Like hen-like lady.
1: That's my assumption. I
0: love that.
1: Supposedly still not satisfied with her revenge, Grace then sailed to Ballycroy and attacked the garrison at Duna Castle, overpowering the defenders and taking the castle for herself. Her attack against the McMahonhans was not the first time she interrupted someone at their prayers, and legend tells of another lord who 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 stole property from her and fled to a church for sanctuary. She was deter- determined to wait out the thief, maintaining that he could starve or surrender. The thief dug a tunnel and escaped, however, and the hermit who took care of the chur- church broke his vow of silence and scolded her for attempting to harm someone who had sought sanctuary. Her reply was not recorded.
0: So what I what's really interesting, so in our last episode, I covered a lady who defended her castle, and now you're covering a lady who took out a castle. Right. Let me just say if there's a castle involved, you want to be on the side of the lady. That's right. the lesson. That's, that's here. obviously <laughs> the
1: lesson. So, under Gaelic law, um, Grace was unable to inherit O'Flaherty land. Like yeah, she can get her dow- dowry back and stuff, but because her husband died, she doesn't automatically get his land. I assume it goes to the son.
0: Okay, it kind of sounds like everyone's entitled to their own shit, and that stuff doesn't yeah, necessarily that's cross. Over. Kind of exactly. Like she what can it get is. her own land that maybe he's not entitled yeah, to. Basically, I, I kind of get that.
1: Well, and she she's still entitled to her family's land because remember yeah. she was like the princess, and by this point, I believe her dad had passed. So she returned to the Umhal and settled on Clare Island in her family's lands. Um, This is often portrayed as her being forced out of O'Flaherty land, despite her leadership abilities owing to misogynistic laws. But under the same laws, like you said, yeah, a woman was entitled to to complete control of her own property. So yeah, it was, it wasn't necessarily misogynistic laws. It was more just like everybody owns their own shit.
0: Yeah. And I mean, he, yeah I mean, yeah, okay, because
1: in con, so that was like the Gaelic law, uh, and in contrast, the English common law said that any property belonging to a woman automatically became the property of her husband on marriage, and the wife was granted a life interest in a percentage, usually a third of all property following his death. So that's just the comparison between the Gaelic law and the English law. I would much rather be a Gaelic.
0: And here's the thing. Even in our society, which I would consider pretty progressive and modern for all of its faults, you know, there's still tons of bullshit. So they were not perfect, regardless of what was totally happening here. If there was misogyny involved, which let's be honest, there probably was. Yeah, it kind of sounds like, hey, if you earned it, you get it. So I just realized I told part of the story out of order. My notes got messed up. Oh well, that's okay. We can uh, skip around history all we want. Yeah. So apparently it's after, not going anywhere. <laughs> after
1: returning to her lands and, as I said, setting up her principal residence on Clare Island, she ale- allegedly took a shipwrecked sailor as her lover. However, mm. the affair only lasted briefly as he was killed by the MacMonahans of Ballyvoy. And seeking vengeance, she attacked the McMonaghan Castle at Duna in Blacksod
0: Bay and killed her lover's murderers on Cahir Island. You will not believe this. I had deja vu of you saying that. And I remember discussing it with Jared in the kitchen, being like, no, I had a dream of you saying that. Hold on. No. This sounds ridiculous, but bear with me. I had a dream of you saying that, and I remember discussing it with Jared in the kitchen and saying, that makes me feel really good, though, because that means we're going to keep doing the podcast. (laughs) Holy shit. Paranormal podcasts. Reach out to us. This shit's insane. Uh, Okay.
1: So (laughs) she attacked the Duna Castle in Blacksaw Bay and killed her lover's murderers, um... Her attack on that castle earned her the nickname the Dark Lady of Duna. (gasps) And then that's where the whole still not satisfied with her revenge. She sailed to Ballycroi was supposed to be. So she was avenging her uh, shipwrecked sailor lover, not her husband, (laughs) in that part that I talked (laughs) about earlier.
0: She's like, "Okay, my husband said that's cool. But this dude that I've been fucking for six months, he deserves a year. This dude I've been fucking for a year, that shit was deep. He deserves vengeance, right? This so after uh, obviously
1: that went really well for her, uh, she began in earnest with the three galleys she had in a number of smaller boats um, to earn her quote maintenance by land and sea. Maintenance. Yep, that's what the, that's what she called it. What? So this is when like they're gonna rage shit and take money. Oh,
0: okay. Um, maintenance is a nice way of yes. saying rage, rage, fucking rage. Um,
1: So this is kind of where the legend of her being a pirate queen was because she is known as the pirate queen, Grace O'Malley. Um, So yeah, the legend, this is where the pirate queen of Connacht legend was born. An unsophisticated and opportunistic form of piracy was endemic in Ireland, uh, mainly comprised of short distance raids along the coast or to other islands, levying tolls on passing ships and plundering any vessel foolish enough to be unprotected. So that's kind of what they were doing. I wouldn't really say that's necessarily unsophisticated, but that's what my notes said. It's kind of like smash and grab style. Right. But I mean, depending on what you have, that's, it's not a bad way to do it. Hey, it works. Um, In her petition to Elizabeth later in her life, so um, she petitions Elizabeth later, Wait, Um, Queen Elizabeth? Yes, Queen Elizabeth. Oh,
0: shit. (laughs) Uh, She
1: justifies her her activities of this time by explaining that, quote, Discord and dissension, where every chieftain took arms by strong hand to make head against his neighbors, which in like manner constrained your highness, fond subjects to take arms and by force to maintain herself and her people. So basically, there was a bunch of shit going on which made everybody take up arms. That's kind of how she explained herself.
0: Okay, everyone's battening the hatches to use naval lingo.
1: The actual scale of her activities is d- difficult to access. Some records weren't great at the time. Um, she was a- traditionally credited with, the attacks of to wa- with attacks from Donegal to Waterford. Um, and there's a particular tale that if you go to Ireland, you'll actually still hear it. Um, that pertains to, the re- um, to her being refused hospitality by the Earl of Houth. Um, so supposedly she kidnapped his heir and demanded as ransom the promise of a setting of an extra place at Houth Castle and that the doors always be like open to strangers. Um, later historians ascribe that tale to Richard Nonlaren Bork. Uh, however, the records at Houth Castle state that the arrangements were made with grace.
0: OK, so some people think that a guy actually arranged this whole deal, but everyone else is like, no, yeah. it was and grace. And to
1: this day, they suppose what I read is that the descendants still set an extra place.
0: Uh so she basically arranged a whole drop-in policy yeah, like, basically, so that she could be that person that was like, hey, I'm just showing up. This right. is sitcom
1: style. Right. <laughs> um and um little is known about the even the size or composition of her fleet. Like they knew she had three galleys and a number of smaller ships. But estimates vary from somewhere between four and twenty vessels at one time. Oh my god! Uh, most of her vessels would have been the small, fast, maneuverable, or or sail driven, um, perfect for hugging the coast, but not good for going out to open sea.
0: So she was primarily patrolling the coast. Yeah, which okay. I mean, that's all
1: you need to raid.
0: I was gonna say we were just talking about that. Hey, like you can call it unsophisticated, but if it fucking works, right. Um, in fi- in 1566,
1: Grace uh married a second time. This time to Rizdiard on Arinin or Iron Richard Bork. Uh, iron Richard is a much more intimidating name. Uh, his nickname derived from his ironworks at Burris Hool, the place of his principal castle and residence. So basically, they were
0: probably iron workers.
1: <laughs> you know, why not make a name that makes sense?
0: You know, I love that people from history sometimes have these like super specific and appropriate nicknames, right? Where it's like Northern Iron Richard, the maker of horseshoes upon Leeds on the ocean. None right. of that makes sense. Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't <laughs> know where Leeds is.
1: And so their marriage was kind of interesting to read about because supposedly she kicked him out after a year, even though it was his <laughs> castle. Because apparently in Ireland, you had, like, a grace period of a year, like, and if you didn't want to do it oh after that, it was kind of like a
0: get-out-of-jail-free card. It's like a marriage probationary yeah, period. Um, Can we bring that back? So many marriages would be saved if we just had right, a probationary exactly. period. Oh, my God. Um...
1: Well, rather, so many people would be saved from divorce if they yeah. just had a probationary period. That's um,
0: so fantastic.
1: But, like, so some people say that, like, he came home one day to, like, all of his stuff outside, and she was just like, bye. <laughs> um, but most records indicate that they at least presented themselves as married until he died. Okay. So some people are like, I think she just got mad one day. Plus, he she stayed in his lands, which is not something you're really allowed to do after you get divorced. Like, reminds- you're kind of supposed to go back home to your own yeah. shit. Yeah.
0: It reminds me a little bit of Margaret Brown, because her and her husband right. separate, but they never full-on divorce. Yeah. And, and she so actually got a bunch of That's kind of what I'm from-
1: wondering, like, happened, if they kind of separated, but she just kind of, like, stayed. Because it was probably a good political move for both of them. I was going
0: to say, it sounds like there were probably a lot of benefits to being right. married, whether it be political or you know, socioeconomical. Yeah. And it was like, hey... You don't get to fucking sleep here anymore, but we're going to keep the legal benefits. Yeah,
1: but apparently she kept the castle, so. Oh, my one, fucking one God. One of the castles.
0: It reminds me, there's a Beyonce video like that where she's just throwing some dude's shit out the window yeah, and he's on the right. lawn like, baby, why? And she's like, bitch, you know why? I, I,
1: isn't that the one that's like, to the left, to the left? Yes! Yeah. All your shit's over in a box, box to the, the left. The left. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so uh, when she was married to Iron Richard, they had one child. Tibetan along, Nalong, um, and even, even his birth has like a legend surrounding it. Oh my God. Supposedly he was born on one of Grace's galleys, and some notes said the following day, some notes said within an hour, apparently the ship was attacked by Algerian corsairs, and she arose from bed, um, like just wrapped in a bedsheet, and turned the tide of battle.
0: I'm imagining her, like, in her bed sheet, having just given birth, holding the baby. Yeah, sword in the
1: other hand. Breastfeeding
0: yeah. him with a sword in her hand, like, bitch, I just gave birth. You do not want to <laughs> fuck with right. me. And they were all like, oh, my God, a woman is breastfeeding. We need to leave immediately. <laughs> we need to
1: leave. <laughs> um, That child uh, eventually became the first Viscount Mayo, which is pretty cool. I don't know what that is, but it sounds pretty cool. He's like dr mayo super senior
0: (laughs) i keep tying it back to the mayo
1: brothers um so throughout all of this her influence rose as an international trader so like she wasn't just a pirate like she was getting shit done yeah um she so she was she was viewed as an international trader owner of large land in ireland and a pirate who harassed english holdings and trade so she kind of targeted the english which is kind of you know fair Um, She also kind of got involved in political struggles happening around the nation. Um, Very obviously, she didn't hold much love toward the English crown, um, mainly because this was during a time that they were taking a lot of Irish lands under their control and kind of trying to convert everyone to their way of thinking. And nobody really takes that very well. She also heard what Henry VIII did to his six wives and was Uh, like, bro. Bro, that's not cool. Bro, Um. So in the during this time and as the years go on, she enters into openly rebelling against England, whether it's um, a lot of times it wasn't like necessarily her engaging in open battle, but she would lend a lot of her men to the Lord Deputy of Ireland, who was like the main guy, you know, fighting against the English and protecting Irish and Scottish interests. So it's not just the Ireland, the Scotch in there, too.
0: I I was going to say, a lot of people were sick of England sticking their fingers in everyone else's pies. And it caused a lot of conflict. And England was like, no, 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 you need us. And they're like, no, we fucking don't. No, 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 no. you You don't understand. You need us. You need us so bad. And they're like, colonization
1: is bullshit. Right. So in 1576, Grace engaged in the surrender and re-grant process with the Lord Deputy Sir Henry Sidney in respects to her land. So basically, I think she like surrendered them to the English crown, but then they gave them back to her. Um It was given that Rock Fleet, which is the castle she essentially took from her husband, but like they were s- still kind of married. It was like her ex yeah. She's
0: like, I can lose this castle. I'm No, this she took this from him. Oh,
1: like, she just stayed in this castle, basically. No,
0: no, no. I understand that. But then she gave it to the English, but then got it back. Yeah, it says, it says given that Rockfleet was over a week's
1: march from Dublin, and she was often at sea, control by the crown was, in practical terms, almost non-existent. So she's like, you can't really do anything with my land anyways.
0: Oh, my God. So she, so the English did get something, but they're like, oh, shit, this isn't what we wanted. And she's like, I'll take it. Right. I'll
1: take it back. So in 1939, Sir Richard Bingham, the guy that eventually kills her son, claimed that she was nurse to all rebellions in the province for this 40 years. And he was, like, the president of the the area where she kind of lived. Like, not exactly where, you know, but, like, next to it. And so I think he was, like, pissy. He was on his period. Right. Um, and she very much, like didn't like that, and had every reason and opportunity to limit the power of the Kingdom of Ireland over her part of the country. So they kind of went to her. An expedition from Galway led by Sheriff William Oge Martin attacked her castle at Clare Island, which was kind of her home base, in March of 1579. On this attack on Clare Island, um, she defended her castle, like, real well, and they were put to flight and barely escaped. Like, the people attacking her. Like, she did so well that they almost all died. (laughs) Oh,
0: my God. So it wasn't just she pushed them off. She practically made it so there was no one left to escape. Exactly.
1: Love it. So in the later 16th century, you know, we're getting farther along now, English power had steadily increased in Ireland, and Grace's power was steadily encroached upon. Finally, in 1593, when her family, so both of her sons, because they're both alive at this point, and her half-brother were taken captive by English English governor of Connacht. So I'm guessing this is where that other part comes in, where he wrote a letter talking about how she was the nurse to all rebellions. Okay. So they were taken captive by Sir Richard Bingham. Um. So Grace sailed to England to petition Queen Elizabeth for their release. She's like, fine, I'll just go there. Um, she's going
0: super diplomatic, though. Right. Like, so- normally she's... Very aggressive physically.
1: Right. So when she showed up, um, Elizabeth I famously sent her a list of questions, which were which she answered and returned, uh, that she was then allowed to meet with the queen at Greenwich Palace wearing a fine gown, and the two of them met surrounded by guards and members of Elizabeth's royal court. Because, you know, that's just how things are done.
0: I mean, this is a pirate queen who has been right. wrecking the English. Like, you got to protect yourself.
1: I get it. Right. Uh, Grace refused to bow before Elizabeth because she didn't recognize her as the queen of Ireland. Uh, another source said she also refused to bow because she viewed herself as a queen. Queens either do way. not bow
0: to queens. Yeah. Either way,
1: she didn't bow to the queen, which they is polish each kind other's of a crowns. big deal, you know. Yeah. Um. It's also rumored that she had a dagger concealed on her, which the guards found upon her searching um elizabeth's courtiers were kind of upset and kind of worried that this person that's meeting with their queen had a dagger on them fair um but but grayson like was open about it and informed the queen that she carried it for her own safety and elizabeth seemed fine with that girl i have
0: my own dagger let's compare daggers
1: Supposedly during this encounter, Grace, was, Grace sneezed and was given a lace handkerchief from one of the noblewomen. She supposedly blew her nose and threw it into the fire nearby, which shocked everyone. Um, she informed them that in Ireland, a used handkerchief is considered dirty and properly destroyed.
0: Okay, what I love is that there's clearly the idea that the English are the more sophisticated and posh of the you know crowd, while the Irish are like the dirty. Yeah, I mean they called it the
1: hinterlands.
0: Like they're just getting by by the skin of their teeth, you know, dirt under their fingernails. And then Grace is the one that's like sneezing into cloth and then taking it back is kind of fucking disgusting. (laughs) Because I remember learning about handkerchiefs when I was a kid and being like... I thought they were so gross. I was like, who the fuck does that it's basically
1: like continually reusing a used kleenex and
0: here's the thing i totally get it at the time kleenex you couldn't just pop down to the local walgreens and buy a box of kleenex No, but like
1: my grandma still uses handkerchiefs
0: my grandmother used to stuff kleenex in her pocket she always had used kleenex in her pockets and she would would give it to me to you that would
1: shove them like if they were wearing like a sweater that had like the tight sleeves they would like shove it in the sweater
0: it's weird. so gross yeah. now, but at the time I get it. But I love that whole dynamic that a noble woman is like, "Here, you uncivilized slob," and she's like, "You get how this is disgusting, right?"
1: Yeah, she's like, like you don't want." She's like, this "I back. used it. Why would I give it back to you?" You don't want this back. Right? It's gross. So the discussion that they had um, was carried out in Latin. You know, so wow. obviously she must have been somewhat educated. Um, it was mainly carried out in Latin because Grace spoke no English and Queen Elizabeth didn't speak Irish.
0: And neither do we. You know. Um, so
1: after much talk, the two women came to an agreement. They It included stipulations for each party. So like they both got something they wanted. Elizabeth was to remove Bingham and his troops, or not troops, but men, I guess, from his position in Ireland. And Grace was to stop supporting the re- r- the rebellion. You know, win-win. Okay. Um, The meeting did seem to do some good for Bingham did get removed from service and left. Um, However, several of her other demands, such as uh, return of cattle and land that Bingham had stolen from her, uh, were never met.
0: Oh, boo, Elizabeth. And, with-
1: and within a rather short period of time, Queen Elizabeth sent Bingham back to Ireland. No. So it's kind of like a temporary thing.
0: I thought this was going to be like some cool, powerful, no. herstory gals getting together and being that like, been nice. so Bingham's a dick. And Elizabeth's like, oh my god, I know. But he just bitches and bitches. So I sent him to Ireland so he'd get out of my fucking hair.
1: Upon Bingham's return, Grace realized that the meeting with Elizabeth had been useless and went back to supporting Irish insurgents
0: fair i mean here's the thing if she's not gonna hold up her end of the bargain why should you that sucks that was such a great opportunity for like this great herstory merger and they both well i mean elizabeth kind of fucked that up yep um
1: so they're not exactly sure where she died but they're pretty sure she died of old age um and they're guessing at Rockfleet castle which is the castle from her husband.
0: The one she stole when she sh- threw the guy's shit out the yeah, window. Yeah, but they
1: kind of remained married. That one, yeah. All your
0: shits in the um, to the left.
1: So, yeah, they say she most likely died at Rockfleet Castle around 1603, which would be the same year that Elizabeth died.
0: Oh, shit! Which is kind
1: of interesting.
0: <laughs> That's insane. Um,
1: though the year and place of her death is disputed. But I like thinking that they died in the same year. Herstory headcanon. Both going down like, ah!
0: Yeah, herstory headcanon. Um, I mean, honestly, they were both very headstrong women. Right. And I have a hard time believing, like, they were totally going to come to terms. Yeah, it doesn't
1: surprise me that they didn't.
0: Yeah. And here's the other cool thing. So Henry VIII was the one who was super like, England is going to take over Ireland. We're going to influence your people. And everybody else
1: just kind of followed along afterward.
0: But then Elizabeth was his daughter from one of...
1: One of was them. she, was I don't she remember.
0: Anne Boleyn's kid? I think so. Mary was one. I think Mary was no, Anne, Mar- Anne Boleyn's Mar- kid. No, Mary was Grace, uh, Se- Jane Seymour's. Jane Seymour was his third wife, but she also gave birth to Edward. So Elizabeth was probably Anne Boleyn? Or I think Mary? that's right. Fuck. Did Anne Boleyn give birth to Mary? Okay. So, so weird random shout out because it's kind of appropriate. Have you heard of the musical Six? No, is a musical that is sung by Henry the Eighth's six wives, and there's all the dead ones. Yeah, so it's kind of, it seems like it's kind of kind of trying to do a Hamilton thing because it's a lot of like pop modern music like Anne Lynn's music is like sorry not sorry for what I said I just want to have some fun don't sue me and it's but it's really fun to listen to and it has helped me kind of conceptualize okay here's what each wife's legacy was and I may cover his last wife because her whole song is like yeah I had to marry this guy and then he died but I'm so much more than <laughs> his last wife wife. Right. I think that was uh Catherine Parr was his last wife and she like fought for women's education and she was a writer and she was kind of a badass.
1: I'm trying to like briefly read through this and see who had who. You know, like
0: Let's let's just do a quick summary of Henry VIII. This is going to be Yeah, Elizabeth was
1: born by Anne Boylan Okay. And then, you know, she died.
0: Yeah, cuz was Mary Catherine of Aragon Because they were, so Queen Mary, Mm -hmm. I think she was birthed by Catherine of Aragon, who was Henry's first wife. And then Elizabeth ended up killing Mary because Mary killed a bunch of people for being Catholic or Protestants. I don't know.
1: I also can't. Like, I wish they just gave me a list of like, these are his children. But no.
0: I mean, this isn't about him. I'm sorry. I totally got off on a tangent. Um, But I, I like that connection that Henry was kind of the one who started this like, pushed for England to take over Ireland and now she's negotiating with his fucking daughter and then they die in the same year it's so poetic so
1: okay Catherine of Aragon had one two three four five six children
0: holy shit
1: Elizabeth Blount who's a mistress had one child Anne Boylan had three kids Jane Seymour had one Anne of Cleves Catherine Howard and Catherine Parr had none yep there you go Okay. Some of them were, like, unnamed, so they were, like, miscarriages or stillborn. Like, Kath- yeah. uh, Catherine of Aragon, four of the six were stillborn. Yeah. So.
0: Well, and let's be honest. Henry was kind of and, fucking anything that moved.
1: And Henry, the only son Catherine gave him, died at two months old. Right. So.
0: And that's why he wanted to divorce her, because he's like, I need a
1: son. Yeah. So that that's that. But, yeah, that. I have more about Gráce O'Malley. I mean she's dead
0: now, but I have more Please stuff. keep telling us about Gráce O'Malley. This is her story. Right.
1: So O'Malley's um so the weird thing about Gráce O'Malley is she kind of like faded. Like she's not in Irish history. It's really weird. Like what? she's in Irish like folklore history, but she's not in like traditional Irish history. So
0: Irish kids are not learning about her in school.
1: I mean, maybe nowadays they are, but they weren't um I'm so starting her, the campaign. <laughs> her biography has been mainly written um by an Irish historian, which is great, named Anne Chambers, who describes grace as quote a fearless leader by land and by sea, a political pragmatist and politician. A ruthless plunderer, a mercenary, a rebel, a shrewd and able negotiator, the protective matriarch of her family and tribe, a genuine inheritor of the mother goddess and warrior queen attributes of her remote ancestors, and above all else, she emerges as a woman who broke the mold and thereby played a unique role in history.
0: I found our episode title. It's just that whole fucking quote. Nice.
1: But yeah, it says, documentary evidence for Grace O'Malley's life comes mostly from English sources as she is not mentioned in the Irish Annals.
0: You think it'd be the other way around because she was such a a hero for Ireland, and the English were the ones who were like, "Fuck you, Grace." Right?
1: Um. So the O'Malley family book, because you know, like family, they kept books back then. Yeah. Um. Which was a collection of eulogistic bardic poetry and other material, um, kept by Gaelic houses of the period. Didn't survive.
0: No, there are no
1: contemporary images of her, and an important source of information is the eighteen quote articles of. Integ- integratory, which were the questions put to her on behalf of Elizabeth.
0: So we know she definitely Yeah, no, she existed, definitely existed. But um, maybe some of the stories are a little inflated per legend.
1: Uh, she's also mentioned in the English state papers and in other documents of the kind, an example being a letter sent to Lord De- Deputy Sir Henry Sidney um, and to his son, which quote quotes and says, There came to me a most famous... feminine sea captain called grace o'malley and offered her service unto me whosoever i would command her with the galleys and 200 fighting men so basically she's like hey i'll fight for you amen um like i said there are local traditions and stuff concerning her and they were collected by john o'donovan in the 1830s and 1840s and he describes her as being most vividly remembered by tradition and people were living in the last generation who conversed with people who knew her personally.
0: Well, you, you said that one castle or that house or family still sets an extra place yeah, for her. Yeah, like
1: people knew she existed.
0: That's so crazy.
1: So there's a place in Ireland called the Westport House, which is within County Mayo. And it was, it was the seat of the Brown Dynasty and the, Mar- the Marquess of Sligo, who's a direct descendant of Grace O'Malley. Um, the current house was built close to the site of K- Kahn um, which was also, also known as the Fort of the Slaughtered Cows, which was an O'Malley fort. Charming. Right. So yeah, like that's kind of cool that her family like still exists. Yeah. Uh, there's a bronze statue of grace uh, on, on the grounds of this house. And it also contains a comprehensive exhibit of her life compiled by Ann Chambers. Wow. So obviously like... People may have forgot her, but she had a lasting impact, you know. And afterward, she's inspired a lot of musics, novelists, playwrights, and she has been used as a personification of Ireland because you know that's that wild spirit kind of a thing. Yeah,
0: it's kind of that whole "fuck you, we're gonna be awesome, go to hell." Right.
1: There's also been a lot of songs written about her, but I'm not gonna like list them all. But yeah, I, so was she say was, I bet there's too many. She was a badass.
0: That is the awesome, Pirate
1: Queen Grace O'Malley.
0: So there is this series on, I believe it's available on Netflix, but it's hosted by Lucy Lawless, who famously played Xena. Oh, and I think yep. it's called Warrior Women. I like had some episodes on in the background because she covers like Jonah Arc. I'm pretty sure she covered Grace O'Malley Probably. because there was some stuff you were talking about where I was like, this sounds strikingly familiar. And like when you got to the meeting with Queen Elizabeth, I was like, OK, I did see this. You're like, this sounds way too
1: familiar yeah so
0: if you want to see like a dramatic reenactment involving lucy lawless which why wouldn't you definitely check out i think it's called warrior women but if you just google like lucy lawless documentary bullshit you'll probably find it maybe without the bullshit no in quotes lucy lawless documentary bullshit (laughs) end quotes do it right now did you do it? Tweet us your your results. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> what are what are your top 2 results? Right. That was really cool though. I yeah, love I, really I love that. the like badass wild women who are just like I'm going to fuck everyone shit up. Right. I liked it. I also liked the uh insight into the uh the like Gaelic laws and what rights women had in marriage and after marriage. Right. Yeah. Marriage I thought including
1: and- that stuff was actually like sometimes I don't include it because I'm like okay this doesn't actually like matter or it's yeah. obvious or it's the same as today yeah you know but i was like this is actually very interesting that is
0: super cool thank you for sharing you're welcome i um feeling like i should have gone first today too bad because my story is a bummer <laughs> i like would you, how we, would you like some more wine no because so we're recording a double header today so please stay tuned for next week's episode because i'm going to be drunk as shit <laughs> and i'm gonna be very angry it'll, it'll be funny but uh my story's kind of a bummer i like how we kind of naturally fall into that rhythm though like one of us will cover a woman where it's like, yes, she was a swashbuckling badass who was nursing her child while defending her ship. And then I'm like, la- and then someone else him. is like, Nazis. Speaking yeah. of Nazis, I am going to talk about Sophie Scholl. Have you ever heard of her? mm I have heard her, so I've seen her pop up on like Facebook and social media a lot. Just kind of these really brief, like there's a picture of her and a brief description of what she did. Maybe
1: I have heard of her, but maybe I have to like hear it. Yeah, you know, like
0: my Queen Elizabeth meet and greet situation. Um, Meeting, but like she's a band. So what I knew about Sophie Scholl was the bare bones. But the more I got into her story, the more fascinating it became because. Okay, there are Nazis involved. I'm just gonna Which warn Nazi- everyone. Nazis fuck everything. They up. fuck everything up. And but this story is so different from the other Nazi involved ones we've covered, and I'm really excited to share it. So do it. Do it. I mean, this is happening. <laughs> this isn't just gonna be we're doing a Kelly episode because Emily's story is too sad. All right. Sophie Scholl was born on May 9th in 1921 in Germany as the fourth of six children. Damn. Five of the Scholl children survived to adulthood. Her father, Robert, was the mayor of Frostenberg. I Just wrote the in the pronunciation. Pronunciation I wrote Frostenberg. Uh, But they moved around during her childhood before finally settling in Munich in 1932, where Sophie attended an all-girls secondary school. She was a skilled artist and avid reader, taking a particular interest in philosophy and theology. So she's a nerd, and I love it. I'm a nerd. I'm okay with that. Now, savvy listeners know this was a bad time to be in Germany. The Nazi party was running the show, and Hitler would become chancellor the following year in 1933. In March of the same year, the first concentration camp, Dachau, would open. So, shit is hitting the fan as we speak.
1: See, this is great, because you're giving like the background of the time, which will perfectly fit into my story for next week
0: yes well and i remember why i think it was when i covered mildred harnack i got more into the like okay what was the timeline of hitler coming into right. power and the concentrate oh my god it was like immediate and it was horrifying yeah it was it was like
1: man he's been planning this the whole time Like these
0: things were under construction oh and they then had, he like became me. Like be. and then they cut the ribbon the next day like super fucked up so the Nazis were also going hard in the paint with natu- nationalist propaganda. At 12 years old, Sophie, along with her two sisters, joined the Deutscher Madel. No, Bund Deutscher Made. Sorry, I forgot I put in the pronunciation for that. Uh, or the League of German Girls, which I will now exclusively refer to as because No. <laughs> Most girls were required or compelled to join at first. And Sophie was super into it. Uh, She even became a group leader. So this was basically like like Nazi Girl Scouts. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's Nazi Girl Scouts. All of her friends are joining. She gets to go to these meetings with all of her, you know, schoolmates. And they get to sing songs. It's Nazi Girl Scouts. Yeah. Inga, Sophie's sister, later spoke of what it was like in the organization. This is a long quote, so bear with me. Our fatherland what was it but the extended home of all those who shared a language and belonged to one people we loved it though we couldn't say why after all up till now we hadn't talked very much about it but now these things were being written across the sky in flaming letters and hitler so we had heard on all sides hitler would help this fatherland to achieve greatness fortune and prosperity He would see to it that everyone had work and bread. He would not rest until every German was independent, free, and happy in his fatherland. We found this good, and we were willing to do all we could to contribute to the common effort." But there was something else that drew us with mysterious power and swept us along. The closed ranks of marching youth with banners waving, eyes fixed straight ahead, keeping time to drumbeat and song. We entered into the body and soul, and we could not understand why our father did not approve, why he was not happy and proud. On the contrary, he was quite displeased with us. So basically, they hadn't really thought of Germany as like, go Germany until Hitler came along and then they're getting it on all sides Hitler's gonna save Germany Hitler's gonna make sure everyone's happy he loves Germany right like he's gonna make sure everyone has work
1: and is free and has food like things are gonna be great and honestly
0: that sounds great right but I I like how she
1: also says like there there was something else and we just didn't know what it was like yeah there was the whole like the marching being part of a community
0: and being yeah being you the know. song the militaristic stuff but as she says her father was not super thrilled about it and then one of the other members of this group later recalled I got to know Sophie uh Scholl when she was my group leader in the BDM or like the German League uh, I admired her because her eloquence and her behavior, and uh, she quickly became my very best friend. I often stayed at Sophie's parents' home and got to know her brother Hans and her sister Inga. The BDM was a scouting organization for girls. Political indoctrination was the only one aspect among many others, and I even became a troop leader. Sophie's father, Robert Scholl, was a determined pacifist and sincere Christian. He told us about his experiences, and that influenced my thinking. So her father kind So everyone's super into this. All the kids are really into it. But her father keeps popping up as this voice of...
1: pacifism like if you're out there seeing all this military stuff he's probably like uh no the light
0: bulbs went off immediately for robert so robert was painfully aware of what was happening sophie listened to her father who was very critical of the nazis and their propaganda though he gave his children the freedom to make their own choices and express their own beliefs so even though he knows what's going on and he's like this is fucked up he's not Forcing his kids to not be a part of these organizations. He's like, you guys have to fucking figure this out. This helped her better understand what was happening around her and to see through the propaganda, especially when they wouldn't allow her Jewish friend to join. So she had a Jewish friend and they were like, oh, you can't be a part of Nazi Girl Scouts. And she's like, I wonder if this is like what my father is talking about. So she's able to make those connections. After seeing how hateful the organization was towards those of other races or Jewish heritage, Sophie herself became critical of the League of German Girls and other other Nazi organizations and policies. So she's seen through the veil. Yeah,
1: she's like, you know, a a great fatherland is great, but if it's not for everyone, how great is it?
0: Yeah, it's like, how do you suddenly get to determine who is German enough, you know? So her older brother Hans, who I mentioned in one of the quotes... Uh, had also been swept up in the Nazi propaganda and was actually part of the Hitler Youth Program. Yeah, that was a thing. That's what I thought you were going to say she was a part of. Yeah. I'm pretty sure
1: girls could join that too.
0: I'm not sure if the Hitler Youth Program was exclusive to boys, if it was like Nazi Boy Scouts, but there was an organization specifically for girls. Uh, However, he too began to understand what the Nazis really were as he witnessed their hatred, racism, and anti-Semitism And there was a quote that I found that I didn't include because the story was already very long, but he was super into this. He was really excited, but he went away to some kind of march with everyone. And when he realized that he wasn't allowed to sing songs that were written by Jewish authors, he like he started putting the pieces together. Like, yeah, kind of like she did. So he comes back from this experience and he's super disillusioned. He's like, oh, my fucking God. Right. So when Hans and his friends were arrested in 1937 for participating in protests, it left a serious impact on Sophie that would fuel her later activism. Towards the end of Sophie's academic career, uh, she had become so disgusted by the curriculum, which was largely Nazi indoctrination by now, she almost didn't graduate. The Jewish teachers or those who didn't support the Nazi party began to disappear, the remaining teachers encourage students to inform on their parents and their parents witness their children slowly becoming more brutal and militaristic. Yep. So their kids are coming home from school and just being more aggressive, more violent, more, you know, just preaching the Nazi propaganda. And even the parents are like, what the fuck? You used to play with trucks. What is right? this bullshit? Yeah.
1: I know it's scary.
0: So, despite all this horror in 1940, she com- she completed her education, if you can call it that, and became a kindergarten teacher. So Sophie enjoyed working with children, but she had other motivations for becoming a teacher, and it certainly wasn't the pay because we don't pay teachers enough. Rant over. Germ- so- Germany might. <laughs> we don't. Germany. I mean, might. if you were Jewish or you weren't on board with the Nazis, you got murdered. So I'm not going to say the Nazis were super keen with hey, their teachers. Hey, I didn't say Nazis. I said Germany. <laughs> So Sophie wanted to attend university and hoped that teaching would serve as a prerequisite. Uh, It didn't, and Sophie was forced to work as a nursery teacher in the Auxiliary War Service for six months. All high school graduates were required to serve in some sort of government service. This was meant to keep youth under the government's thumb as long as possible. So, hey, you're out of school. You can do what you want. Just kidding. You have to stay within the government propaganda and indoctrination. Right. And, and, and serve our cause as long as possible. The program was highly militaristic and in an attempt to rebel, Sophie began to practice passive resistance. I couldn't find exactly what that looked like, but I it, it was just kind of another step towards her yeah. later activism. So Sophie's boyfriend, Fritz Hartnagel, was an avid supporter of Hitler and had enlisted in the military at the outbreak of World War II. So he's all on board. Thumbs up. Yay! Sophie would exchange letters with Fritz, and she was very critical of the war and the Nazis' actions. In one letter, she wrote, quote, for me, the relationship between a soldier and his people is roughly like that of a son who swears to stand by his father and his family through thick and thin. If it turns out that the father harms another family and then gets hurt as a consequence, must the son still stick by him? I can't accept it. Justice is more important than sentimental loyalty.
1: So it was I'm like- surprised her boyfriend didn't like report her. Me too. Like, like, because that's happened a lot. Like, husbands and wives, yeah, children reporting trust their anyone. parents, neighbors. So I'm surprised. Like, well, especially since he was
0: all like, woo, yeah. Hitler. Yeah, like he voluntarily enlisted to fight for the Nazis. Yeah. And, but I loved her quote because it's all like, you can love your country and you can be loyal, but. It makes like you have to look outside. If your country is right. not in the right, it's it's a more just thing to to speak out for what's right versus just being like, well, I'm loyal to my country, so I have to go by whatever they say. When he returned to Germany on leave, Fritz was shocked by how much Sophie had changed. You're not the same junior Nazi I fell in love with. At the time, the military was urging citizens to donate coats and sweaters to support the soldiers invading Russia, because Russia's fucking cold, (laughs) as they learn, Fritz described the horrible conditions he had been fighting in, and yet Sophie refused to support such efforts. She said, quote, It doesn't matter if it's German soldiers who are freezing to death or Russians. The case is equally terrible. We must lose the war. If we contribute warm clothes, we'll be extending it. So she's like, all of you guys who are fighting and freezing to death, it's fucking awful. But we are in the wrong here. And like, if I support. Right. Like, our, we need to just finish this. If I support the military's cause, I'm doing more harm than good because we need to lose and we need to fucking stop. Yeah. In 1942, Sophie was finally able to enroll at the University of Munich where she studied biology and philosophy, which reminded me of you because you studied psychology and biology yep. and it just seems like two completely different things and it's like but I like both. Yep, that's exactly I'm what it. Doing I'm both. doing both. Well, which one will you choose? Both. Both is good. Both. <laughs> Her brother Hans was studying medicine there with his friends. All the young men had been conscripted to serve in the military, a.k.a. drafted. Uh, Hans having spent two years as a medic on the Eastern Front. During their time at war, they witnessed other soldiers execute a group of Jews. Oh, by Jesus. S- Yeah, this gets sad. By stripping them naked and shooting them so their bodies fell into a pre-dug pit. So... This was really bonkers for me because I, when I think of World War II and I think of the, like, the Nazis on the front lines and the German soldiers, I always refer like those fucking Nazis, but then to think of the people who were conscripted, who were drafted, it's like, no, you have to do this. It's extra gross. It's just extra sinister and horrifying to me.
1: To see all that other stuff, yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, you know, and- I know that war and politics and history is so nuanced, and that's one of the reasons I love this story is because there are a lot of things where it's like, how can you be against the Nazis, but be dating a guy who's fighting in the war, but then still be like, no, we have to lose. Like, it's complicated, So Sophie connected with her brother and his friends over their mutual love for art, music, literature, philosophy, theology, and sports. They're very well-rounded kids. And, you know,
1: hate for the Nazis. And
0: hate for the Nazis. Their bond would soon soon evolve from shared interest to shared activism. (laughs) I'm glad that's
1: where that went. Yes.
0: So before Sophie enrolled at Munich University, Hans and his friends had already begun their resistance efforts. They were like, this is bullshit. All of them were critical of the Nazis and began to engage in passive resistance to protest their policies, Um, and as part of their resistance, the group began to publish leaflets that promoted social justice and a return to democracy while criticizing the Nazi regime. The leaflets also provided instructions on how average German citizens could actively resist the Nazis and shared Hmm. some of the horrific things that they themselves had witnessed on the front. The students began calling themselves the white rose which is just lovely which pairs well with our wine that has white flower flavors yeah. it all ties in so while the core members of the white rose were sophie hans and his friends alex Schmorel, willie graf and christoph probst uh, their numbers began to grow and sophie's sister inga even joined members included students and professors alike so everyone at this university who is like the nazis are kind of fucked up have you noticed are like let's get in on this so originally hans and the others tried to keep sophie in the dark about their activities but she soon discovered what they were doing and enthusiastically joined she's like hans what is this i found this leaflet in your pocket what is this he's like i i'm just holding it for a friend and she's like and you wouldn't think i'd be in on this you wouldn't think i'd be all on board Let me in. You jerk. How dare you? (laughs) So she proved to be a valuable asset to the White Rose. Uh, Because she was a woman, she was less likely to be stopped and searched by SS officers who were always on the prowl looking for resistance fighters. Yay, sexism? (laughs) Question mark. (laughs) Yeah. If you can work it to your advantage, good for you. It's the social system that's set up. If you can take advantage of it, more power to you. So, from June 1942 to February 1943, the White Rose wrote and distributed copies of six original leaflets, which denounced the Nazis, promoted freedom of speech and religion, and urged German citizens to practice nonviolent resistance against them and their policies. They distributed the leaflets all across Germany by traveling to different cities and mailing them because they can't all be coming from the yeah, same that place. Makes sense. Like, so smart. I wouldn't have thought of that. That's I'd fun. be dead. <laughs> Day one like I I would walk the wrong way around the street and they'd be like bitch I see you (laughs) so they also hope this would prevent the Gestapo from locating the source of the leaflets as they had already caught wind of the resistance group so the Gestapo is aware of what's happening and they're just looking for the people. They printed mass amounts of leaflets using a printing press they purchased using money that Fritz gave Sophie for the purpose. So her Nazi boyfriend comes back giving Sophie money for the printing press so they can print their anti-Nazi leaflet. Yeah, because that makes sense. Well, he's starting to also see okay. horrors on the front. He's like, shit, this isn't what I signed up for because he fell for the propaganda. Yeah. I mean, like everyone did. When Fritz returned to the front, he had witnessed brutal executions and was horrified. He understood how dangerous resistance was and warned that getting caught could cost Sophie her head and neck. Sophie replied, I am aware of that. Which sounds like a very blase email. Like, I am aware of the situation and stop. I Like, like that
1: you envision them writing emails.
0: But you know, it's like a business email where it's like, did you see this? I am aware of the situation. The White Rose also received help from other Nazi resist another Nazi resistance group, the Red Orchestra. If you remember from episode twenty, we talked about the Red Orchestra and one of the founding members, Mildred Harnack. Hell yeah! What? In fact, Mildred's brother-in-law, Falk Harnack, who was her husband Arvid's brother, yeah. who was also Arvid was awesome. We didn't touch yeah. on him because we women's touched history, a little, but it's a Women's History podcast. But he was a badass. But so. So her brother-in-law helped mail the leaflet. So these two organizations got together, and That's it's amazing. in like the best fuck the Nazis history crossover, and I love it.
1: That makes me so happy.
0: A section from one of the leaflets read: "Quote." If the German people are already so corrupted and spiritually crushed that they do not raise a hand frivolously trusting in a questionable faith in lawful order in history, if they surrender man's highest principle, that which raises him above all other gods' creatures, his free will, if they abandon the will to take divisive action and turn the wheel of history and thus subject it to their own rational decision... If they are so devoid of all individual individuality. I'm going to add 10 more syllables there. uh, Have already gone so far the road toward turning into a spiritless and cowardly mass. Then yes, they deserve their downfall. So, wow. Long paragraph slash sentence short. If you are on board with this, if you can't see past this or if you're complicit to it then yeah, we, it, like if we can't get together and say this is wrong, we deserve to fail. We right. deserve to be taken that. down and lose this war. So the White Rose was not pulling any fucking punches. Unfortunately, many of the members were conscripted into the military and sent to the Eastern Front. Normally, if someone was in school, they couldn't be uh, drafted. But in during the academic break... The Nazis snatched students for the service, wow. which is I'm like, what a dick move. I mean, they're involved. Nazis. Like what? Like you're going back? Like all the college students listening just got back on from their winter break. Imagine if like no, oh, you're I'm going celebrating to war. Christmas? Instead. Oh no, you're technically not in school. Like should taking J term? Fuck. So the resistance leaflets made the White Rose high-profile targets for the Gestapo, who aggressively hunted for members. On February 18th, 1943, Sophie carried a suitcase packed with leaflets to the university. She and other White Rose members, including Hans, hurriedly threw them in empty corridors for students to find when their lectures ended. So they're like running through the halls of the school like, (laughs) woo, Fuck the Nazis! Woo! However, Sophie noticed that they had remaining copies, not wanting to waste them because copies are fucking expensive, especially when you had to buy a printing press to make them. She and Hans went to the top floor of the university atrium to throw the extra leaflets like they're just making it rain. A custodian spotted Sophie and Hans throwing the leaflets and called the Gestapo, who quickly arrived and arrested Sophie and Hans. Is Hans her boyfriend or her brother? Her brother. Okay. Fritz is her her boyfriend. Um, I couldn't. F- he kind of pops in and out of the story. Yeah, he's I noticed. Primarily at war. <laughs> so, uh, they found a seventh leaflet drafted in Hans's pocket when they arrested him and quickly destroyed it. So that basically they were writing new leaflets to distribute after the first yeah. six. The Gestapo found and arrested other members of the White Rose, interrogating them and charging them with treason. Sophie was tried in the People's Court before Judge Roland Freisler, an infamous Nazi who would use his legal skills at, to create laws targeting Jews and minorities and sentenced many Nazi resistance fighters to death. I looked a little bit into him and I was like, he's not a big part of the story but just trust me, he is a terrible human being, garbage. Yeah. Horrible trivia. He was inspired by America's racist laws and oh, legislation. Geez but felt that our Jim Crow policies were child's play and didn't go far enough. He was grade A asshole. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, even we were not like racist enough for him. At her trial on February 21st, which is 48 years apart from my birthday, Sophie was recorded as saying, quote, somebody after all had to make a start. What we wrote and said is also believed by many others. They just do not dare express themselves as we did. The defendants weren't allowed to offer any testimony, and this was Sophie's only defense. So it's basically like a fake trial to say they had one before immediately taking action. The following day, Sophie, Hans, and their friend Christoph Probst were found guilty and sentenced to death. They were executed the same day by guillotine. Guillotine.
1: Come on. That's like the one French word we know.
0: I know. <laughs> I can't. Because I'm, I'm reading it. I'm like, there's two yeah. L's, so I have to go really hard for the L's, right? No. The man who supervised the execution later spoke of Sophie's courage as she walked to be executed. Her last words were, such a fine, sunny day, and I have to go. What does my death matter if through us thousands of people are awakened and stirred to action? I also found another article that said her last words were Di sonne, shit no or the sun still shines. And I'm wondering if like it, I think it's possible that These were words that were said when she was leaving her cell to be executed versus when she was actually executed. Who knows? Both quotes were so sad and beautiful. I'm like, I'm going to include them both. Right. Sophie was only 21 years old. The other White Rose members were also largely students in their 20s. Sophie, Hans, and Kristoff were buried next to the prison and their graves can still be visited today, which is shocking to me.
1: What's shocking to me is that after the war they didn't get moved.
0: Yeah. I and I wonder what that site looks like now yeah. or what the situation is. Um but I did find modern pictures well, of the graves. Or to a tour. Yeah. Sophie was right, her death was not the end and people were stirred to action. A copy of the final leaflet that they had written but had not distributed yet, was discovered and smuggled out of Germany where it found its way to Allied forces. The Allied forces printed millions of copies of the leaflet and in mid-1943, dropped them over Germany. The leaflet was retitled, The Manifesto of the Students of Munich. Two years later, Hitler would kill himself, and World War II would come to an end. Only two of the five Scholl children would survive the war. So these were the children who survived to adulthood. Legacy. And this is actually half a page. Because this story, I mean, it's just like she's executed and it sucks. (laughs) uh, Sophie Scholl is considered a hero of World War II, and her resistance and sacrifice has been recognized in a variety of ways the uh, Scholl siblings Institute for Political Science at the University of Munich is named after Sophie and her brother Hans so she shares a lot of these honors with her brother which is very sweet in 2003 a nationwide competition was held in Germany to determine the top 10 most important Germans of all time Sophie and Hans finished in fourth place yay! beating out Sebastian Bach Hans Gutenberg who invented the fucking printing press and Albert Fucking Einstein. Who was the top of the list? Uh, I didn't read who got number one, but fuck them. Sophie and Hans were primarily voted by viewers uh, under 40. And if those votes uh, or if the votes in that age range had been the only ones considered, Sophie and Hans would have been ranked number one. On May 9th, 2014, Sophie was featured on the Google Doodle in honor of what should uh, have been her 93rd birthday. And I put should because if she hadn't been executed, there's no telling if she would or would not have lived yeah, to be 93. You never know. On February 22nd, 2003, on the 60th anniversary of her execution, the Bavarian government placed a bust of Sophie in the Walla, Walhalla. Sorry which is essentially a hall of fame for distinguished German throughout history uh, her bus sits But it's al- in Bavaria cuz Bavaria is part of Germany <laughs> I didn't look it up I just wrote my notes so her bus sits alongside the likes of emperors famous artists like Mozart and Beethoven and scientists like Albert Einstein also in an amazing herstory crossover Hildegard of Bingen's Bust is there, too, who we covered in episode 10.
1: Bavaria is a state of Germany. OK.
0: <laughs> I'm like, Bavaria is like German adjacent, right?
1: Apparently Munich is in Bavaria, technically. OK.
0: So it's like an area yeah, within yeah, Germany. Yes. OK.
1: It's like Minnesota in the United yeah,
0: States. Yeah. I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they but they were like Ludifix Ludafisk is gross. We're not doing that. We're no. better than you. We're and they do Bavarian cream, which is so much better. <laughs> oh my God. Minnesota! Finish <laughs> your story! Uh, there are also films, literature, and even songs dedicated to Sophie. One of the most important takeaways from this story for me was not only of the brave resistance efforts spearheaded by students, but how Sophie, Hans, and their siblings did get swept up in Nazi propaganda. Hans was a Hitler loot. Yeah. Hitler youth leader, and even argued with his father in defense of Hitler. He's super like on board with Hitler. You almost said Hitler Ludafisk. Hitler You said
1: Hitler loot, and then you changed your mind
0: because they're both disgusting.
1: But yeah, like it. It is. It's. It just shows the power of something like. Especially in the youth, like, where you're like, okay, everybody's going to join. Yeah. It's going to become super popular because that's what all the kids are doing. And they they don't know.
0: No, they don't know That's what it is. Because Sophie was a leader in the German League of Girls. The nationalism and and promises of prosperity were extremely powerful. A huge contributor to their ability to see the Nazis for what they were was their father, Robert, who, while critical of the Nazis, gave his children the freedom to explore their beliefs and ideals. He knew that he could not force them to think a certain way because that's what the Nazis were fucking right. doing and that they always knew he loved him. So even though they disagreed, he's like, I fucking love you guys. And they respected him. And so they listened when he was like, yeah, but did you ever think of it this way? But just we see this even today getting right. whipped up in the nationalist propaganda and all the empty promises. And it's very easy it's so easy to get swept up into that because it feels better to just trust that someone else is going to solve all your problems.
1: Yeah, I say, it feels better to listen to someone that's saying, hey, I'll make sure you're safe and I'll make sure you're you know, fed and that everyone has jobs. It's easier to believe in that than to be like, I have to go and work for this myself.
0: Exactly, or even especially if you're not being targeted. Oh well, it's that doesn't affect me. Yep, I'm voting for my own interests. Well, sometimes you have to weigh those. You know, it's like okay, yeah, I may benefit from this, but at what cost? Yeah. So, this story is. absolutely timeless and I thought it was really worth telling. I was very excited to share it and I even tweeted on our Twitter account with like a gif of Tobias from Arrested Development Cry in the Shower. When you stay up past your t- bedtime reading about Nazi resistance and you cry like a bitch. <laughs> but it was, it was yep. such a good story and I found some other really good articles with more quotes and interviews from people who knew Sophie and Hans and I highly recommend you do your own reading because this was amazing so kelly what what are you thankful for because we need a pick me up because this was a bummer
1: (laughs) what am i thinking i had one like before we started recording and now i'm like uh what was i gonna be
0: thankful for i actually thought about starting to write because every now and then i'm walking around and i'm like oh i'm really thankful for this but then when we start recording i
1: carry a daily planner around like so i could i could just open it and jot something down you do, too. I know you yep, do.
0: Yep. I need to. I need to do that. Video game? Like, does that sound super shallow?
1: No, I've just kind of had, like, a shit week at work, and I've been playing this video game called Graveyard Keeper, and
0: I don't know, like,
1: it's just been really nice.
0: Sometimes you need to do a little something fun So, thank for you yourself. to the creators of
1: Graveyard <laughs> Keeper.
0: Five stars. Um.
1: I don't know. I guess I'm thankful for just like the ability to be able to do something like that and having that free time and, you know, the money to be able to afford it. I mean, it was like 20 bucks, but, you know, don't look at me. Th- <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not that much for a video <laughs> I'm game.
0: so poor. Do <laughs> you I mean, like a
1: shocked look? I'm like, no most video games are like 60 or 70 This is true. This
0: is very true. But
1: this is because this isn't like a triple A title. This yeah. is just a little.
0: Well, yeah, game. like,
1: yeah, it's really good, too.
0: Highly recommend, I yeah, guess. Highly
1: recommend. It's a little weird, but Tell them whining recommend. about
0: history sent you.
1: Yeah. They won't care, but you can do it.
0: Sponsor us. <laughs> Sponsor <laughs> us, graveyard
1: keeper. Uh what would, what are you thankful for?
0: Um, I am really thankful. Uh, so it was, we cheers to this. So I'm just going to lean into it. Uh, it was my boyfriend's birthday and I was able to take a half day off work. And uh-huh. I, I fucking earned that half day because at one point in the morning, at the same exact time, I got an email, a Skype message, and someone in the office is like, hey, Emily. And I'm like, this is too fucking much. And like, I've been really struggling with the depression. So I was just feeling really overwhelmed on Friday and like eyes kind of brimming with tears while I'm sitting at my desk. And so it was really nice to be able to take that half day. We drove up to the cities and um, Jared's mom's uh, husband, really sweet guy he recommended this place called the urban growler I'm gonna give them a shout out because they're like a brewery but they also serve food sponsor us Sp- yeah, urban growler sponsor us they had I don't know if it was covering a pipe but they basically had a bunch of printouts of Linda Carter as wonder woman and they were like just going up from the floor to the ceiling attached to something. someone really just likes wonder woman well here's the cool thing the brewery is owned by a woman nice yeah and so all everything is woman-run, chosen. She's awesome. But it was really great, you know, uh, good company, good food, good drinks. It was a really positive experience. So it was nice to have that wind down, that time to celebrate and just kind of right. live life in a way that isn't for the hustle, you
1: know? It was like the reward for the hustle. Right. Yeah, that's, that's nice just to have that time. Yeah. Like I said, that's kind of what I was thankful for, for too, is just... The time and the ability to do something like that. Well,
0: we've been super busy. Um, you know, I mean, you're going, you're, you're like second or third week back at work after your surgery. The yep. holidays are over. Yep. I mean, people are hitting the ground running, and we've been doing a lot of extra stuff with the podcast, which we will talk about in the next episode because we're very excited. And we love.
1: There's just yeah. There's just been a lot going
0: on. Yeah, it's been it's like, been go, go go work.
1: Didn't have the normal lull it did. Like it had the lull between. Like Christmas and New Year's but like usually we have like a lull between Thanksgiving and Christmas and then after New Year's there's usually like a week or two that's pretty quiet and yeah no not this year
0: I okay so Monday yeah we had kind of that lull too. None of our clients were emailing us or talking to us because everyone's on vacation. Everyone's doing their own thing. No one's going to start something around the holidays. But Monday, for every five emails I opened, I got ten more. Yeah, exactly. What is Uh, happening? I was talking
1: (laughs) to one of my coworkers and they said the same thing that they're like, usually this is the time that I'm catching up on like year end stuff and getting things ready because we work in education. So they're like. Or I work in education. That we, well, I guess my coworker does too. <laughs> but you know, she's like, you know, usually, yeah. This I'm wrapping things up or getting things ready for the coming year. And she's like, I just don't have the time. Like, she's yeah. like, I don't know why we don't have a downtime this year, but we don't have a downtime
0: this year. People are super jazzed about 2020. They're like, it's Hey, we know what happened in 1930, year. so we're getting this shit done while we can. <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah, please you're, know. Here's tonight,
1: 2029 being okay. Yes.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Whining About Herstory. Uh, You can hit us up on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, uh, Instagram at WAHpod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod.
1: Our website is WhiningAboutHerstory.com and our email is WhiningAboutHerstory at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We also have a Patreon. Woot,
0: woot, Patreon. Please go and donate. Special thanks. uh, Shout out to Kara. If it's Kara, I am so sorry. I, I keep getting too embarrassed to ask you how I pronounce your name. But she was our first Patreon donor. And we sent her a nice little handwritten note because we love, we love you her so much. And thank you. She's been a supporter. From the beginning. Yeah, early on. And uh, thank you so much for the love. And hopefully uh, you are not alone in giving us some love. So please check out all of our stuff. We would love to hear from you. If you have uh, suggestions of women you'd like us to cover, if you have a say their name for us, please email us, as Kelly said, at whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, tweet us or send us a message on Twitter.
0: Facebook us.
1: We will respond in whatever medium you choose.
0: I don't fucking care. Just reach out. Just reach out. Reach out and touch us. You have our permission. All right. Oh, God. I feel like this is going to be used against me in court someday. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah, that is. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Street. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.